One day there were two friends who decided to get together for lunch. One of them was a psychiatrist and the other one um, said he had just stopped by the hospital where the psychiatrist worked and pick him up and they go to lunch from there. And when he got to the hospital, the psychiatrist said, hey, would you like to take a tour of, of the hospital here where I, I work? I'll show you around. So uh, they thought that'd be a good idea. So the psychiatrist was showing his friend around and it all looked very interesting. And they came to uh, one room there where the walls were padded and there was some guy who was there who just kept saying, Linda, Linda, how could you do this to me? Linda, Linda, how could you do this to me? Just over and over again. And as he repeated that, he was banging his head up against the wall just crying out, Linda, why did you do this to me? And um, so the, the friend asked uh, the psychiatrist, uh, what's, what's wrong with uh, this man? And the psychiatrist explained, uh, well, um, there was this woman named Linda whom he loved, and he asked her to marry him, but she turned him down. And so he just went into the ozone after that. So uh, they went on down the hall a little further and they came to another room and they saw a man there who was also banging his head up against the wall and he said, Linda, 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 how could you let this happen? Linda, oh, Linda, and just banging his head. And so the, the friend asked his uh, psychiatrist friend, what's wrong with this guy? He said, oh, uh, that's the guy who married Linda. Well, perhaps the only thing worse than not getting what you have your heart set on is getting what you have your heart set on. And some problems in life can drive you crazy, as we just illustrated. But there are other problems that fit into a totally different category. We could call these world-class problems. Now, if you were to go to the Internet and type in the little search bar there, world-class problems, you would find all kinds of lists. Uh, some of them would be short, and some, would, some of them would be rather extensive. Um, but if you were to categorize them, most of them would fit into the category of either political or economic. Those are the ones that seem to be the world-class problems. Um, some of the more recent uh, things that have um, invaded our space. Um, you know, the, the Russians invaded uh, Ukraine. That's a world-class problem. There's fears of World War III, perhaps, uh, uh, be beginning. Uh, gas prices, uh, that's a world-class problem for us. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, and just inflation in, in general. Man, I don't know that we've ever had inflation. Uh, this high in such a short period of time. And I, I noticed that you all uh, remember to forget to bring your COVID masks. Um, how, however, we still acknowledge that COVID is still a thing and uh, it, it, it's still affecting the, the way that we, we live. So, you know, those are a, a, a few examples of what we might call uh, world-class problems. Now, in our Bible story last week, and again this morning, we're introduced to a, a man who had a problem that was a world-class problem to him, uh, but in reality, 
uh, it was only a problem that was um, driving him and him alone, not the whole world. Um, so this man who was in the crowd, as we saw last week, you know, Jesus has been warning his disciples about uh, hypocrisy, and then this man just pipes up in the middle of the from the middle of the crowd, and he says, "Teacher, make my brother divide the inheritance with me." It's not a world-class problem; doesn't affect the whole world, but it affects him, and to him, it's that serious, as though it is a, a world-class problem. And so Jesus responds to the man, you know, first of all, saying, man who appointed me a judge and an arbitrator over you, uh, indicating that perhaps there are things that Jesus does, just doesn't want to get involved in, which uh, gives me biblical precedent for refusing to deal with some things that maybe uh, someone thinks I should. A uh, little caveat there, uh, strictly off script, uh, I should be careful. I can get myself in trouble. But uh, nevertheless, Jesus addresses the problems that the man has, not the one that he thinks is a world-class problem, that his brother won't share the inheritance with him, but world-class problems that are deeply embedded in his heart that we find deeply embedded in the hearts of all people everywhere in every generation. And these are problems that you and I deal with every day. They are world-class problems that beg for an out-of-this-world solution. And Jesus talks about them. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. I'm going to read the whole section here, which includes last week's uh, reading. But we, we, we need both of these paragraphs in, in order to um, be able to see the, the theme more clearly. Uh, you'll find it on page uh, 871 in your pew Bible, or if you want to use your own Bible, uh, Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays that treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and they have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and yet... Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. There are two world-class problems of the heart in the passage that we have just read. The first one we identified last week, and we're expounding on in more detail today. Uh, it's covetousness. We observed last week how Jesus revealed the heart of the man who wanted Jesus to make his brother pay him his share of the inheritance. And uh, here we, well, let's just review the uh, verses again. Uh, someone said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He said to him, man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's a world-class problem when you've got a gap there between does and not of that length. It threw off my timing, my cadence, and so forth. All right, well, let's talk about uh, world-class problems of covetousness um, to begin with. Uh, in in, in uh, recent days, uh, the world was shocked when Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, just a few quick facts about Russia. Russia is the largest planet on the face of the earth, covering over 6.6 .6 million square miles. It uh, composes one-eighth of the earth's inhabitable land mass. Russia is so vast that it is divided into 11, 11 different time zones. I wonder what they're dealing with over there today on Time Change Sunday. And could throw things in, into confusion. Now, you, you would think if, if you had this much land, you'd be satisfied. You wouldn't need any more. Uh, however, I mean... This is one of those uh, world-class problems that falls un under the category of a political one. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing this going on. And just something to acknowledge about uh, covetousness, it's corrupting. It, covetousness corrupts. It has the power to destroy you physically, and this is why covetousness is such a world-class problem. Many years ago, Kara and I moved to a small town in uh, Mississippi to serve a church there. And uh, this town is just about 15, 20 miles south of Tupelo. If you are a true rock and roll fan and uh, you are of my generation or older, then you know that Tupelo was the birthplace of Elvis Presley. 
If you were to, when we moved there, it was only two years after Elvis had died. So uh, you drive through Tupelo and you see, you know, this way to Elvis's birthplace, which is, you know, about the size of a one-car garage. And uh, you go to a restaurant and uh, they got pictures of Elvis all over the wall. Some restaurants that have a sign that says reserved for Mr. Elvis Presley, uh, permanently reserved for him. Uh, Tupelo is all things Elvis. Something that you may not realize about Elvis, he is the best-selling singer of all time. He's had, or he had more uh, silver, gold, and platinum hits, 110 in all, more than anyone else in history, and nearly twice as many as the Beatles. Elvis had it all. Money, fame, wealth power, cars, <laughs> and success. And all the things that people spend their time seeking after, all the things that we covet, he had. And yet, it wasn't enough. In the end, he turned to drugs to satisfy the aching emptiness in his soul. When Elvis died, he was so bloated from drug use that he didn't even look like himself, which kind of fed the rumor mill that Elvis wasn't really dead because there were Elvis sightings springing up all over the country and all at the same time, which you know, he would have been remarkable indeed if he were living and able to be at many places at, at once. But he, he really did die, and he was practically unrecognizable at the time of his relatively young death at the age of 42. So what the drugs did to Elvis's body, covetousness does to the soul. It promises you happiness, but it leaves you miserable. And what happened to Elvis on the outside happens to us on the inside. So we tell ourselves that if we had what Elvis had, fame, fortune, and fans, then we would be happy, supremely happy. But that's not what happens. Because stuff can't make you happy. In fact, there's nothing in this world that can really satisfy you. You need something out of this world. You need a out-of-this-world solution for this uh, world-class problem. And only God can provide you with satisfaction. Now, that was something that we talked about last week, and this week I'm wanting to just dig a little deeper because covetousness... Um, is the root of so many other sins. Don't have time to go into uh, a, a, a deeper study on a topical basis, uh, but we do know that covetousness um, just leads to so many other sins. When you read the Ten Commandments, uh, you get down to number 10, uh, specifically the commandment says things that you should not covet. And um, actually, uh, covetousness is something that is uh, inside the heart that leads to a, a host 
of other sins. Um, so I want to make the observation here that covetousness uh, not only can corrupt your body, it can also corrupt you spiritually. Look with me here at Colossians 3, verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, Put to death what is earthly in you, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Well, now we're really talking about some serious sin. A covetousness is idolatry because the contentment that the heart should be getting for God, it starts to look for it somewhere else. And so covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God in order to pursue. Or covetousness is losing your contentment in God so that you start to seek uh, that contentment elsewhere. It's powerful, covetousness is, because it's so subtle and often very difficult to detect in ourselves. We see it very clearly in other people, but in ourselves, it's really hard to see. You know, when uh, other sins, you, you can see it. I mean, if, if, if someone were to... Uh, you know, steal a car, uh, you would know that someone has stolen your car because you don't have it anymore. <laughs> it's, it's gone. The, the evidence is, is there. Uh, it's uh, you know, impossible that um, if someone uh, hurts another person, you can see that the evidence of uh, that, that sin uh, that is there, uh, and especially if one person kills another, there, there's evidence that someone has, has, has done that. So uh, coveting is, is something uh, that leads to a, a lot of other things, but coveting itself is invisible. As a matter of fact, it's possible, Now, I talked about this a little bit last week, uh, it could be that your mind wanders, I, I know that it does, if, uh, I were sitting out here, my mind were probably wandering too. Um, strike that last sentence from the recording. I really don't. Uh, this is not a courtroom, though, but you can't strike that. Um, but coveting is something that you could be doing right now. You could be thinking how you have your heart set on this object or this ambition or this goal or this thing or whatever. And no one can see that you are committing the sin of covetousness. It's something that it's secret. And that is one of the reasons why it is so dangerous. When covetousness uh, takes place uh, in the heart, when it gets rooted there, um, it, it's going to come out in uh, one form or another, but it, it won't always come out the moment that you think about it. It slowly corrupts to where you consider something, you dwell on it long enough, and then you, uh, you commit that um, sin that's been in your heart. Uh, so let's go back to the man who called out to the Lord and said, uh, teacher, make my brother share the inheritance with me. Uh, he came to Jesus for a solution to a problem that he never expected 
Jesus to expose his heart. But that's exactly what Jesus does. And after Jesus warns this man, along with the crowd that he was a part of about covetousness, which is a, a huge heart issue, he turns to his disciples. He, he turns away from the man and he starts speaking to his disciples about another big heart issue that can destroy them. And that is this. It's anxiety. When the heart issue of covetousness, uh, well, it, it's something that everyone needs to pay attention to. Uh, and Jesus also wants us to realize uh, just how pervasive anxiety is. And uh, in addition to understanding how important it is to uh, recognize these things, it's, it's really important for us as Christians um, to live in the way that Jesus prescribes. Covetousness and worry are closely connected. Uh, the covetous person can never get enough, while the anxious person is afraid that he will never have enough. But neither has its eyes on Jesus. You can be just as unfaithful by worrying as you can by being covetous. And so with these things in mind, I want to look at verses uh, 22 and 23, he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So uh, he goes on to say, for life is more than food. Well, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Don't be anxious about your life, Jesus says. Really? Do we not have plenty of world-class problems to make us worry? We've already mentioned inflation and uh, political conflict in Europe and uh, COVID and, and those things. And there are some other things. It's kind of hard to ignore them as though that would be a viable option. Uh, some of you who go back a few years may remember that in the late 80s, there was a song that came out, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, it was the first song to hit the top 100 billboard chart uh, that had no uh, instrumental accompaniment. Uh, so it uh, became a popular song. Uh, it uh, became... Um, popular on TV programs, background music, uh, for, for movies, even in video games. And, uh, you know, the title, uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, I mean, it certainly sounds soothing, doesn't it? Oh, don't worry, just be happy. Uh, problem is, there's no substance to that. Uh, there, there's no basis behind the line, don't worry, be happy theme. Uh, if you look at the lyrics, uh, I'll tell you some of them. No money, no style, no girl, don't worry, be happy. No place to live and a landlord suing you, don't worry, be happy. Well, that's a nice little philosophy, but it's hopelessly inadequate. The song virtually says, live in denial. 
Watch out for crocodiles. I mean, if you're going to live in denial, you got to watch out for them, right? Uh, so uh, Jared would be proud, I hope. <clears throat> uh, the line, though, is no matter what, don't worry, just be happy. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is he saying things happen, don't worry about it, be happy anyway? Is he coming down hard on people who are stressed and fearful and worried about the future? Or is he asking people to just ignore reality, ignore problems, and uh, just be happy anyway? No, he's not. Jesus is not saying, thou shalt not worry, uh, with the same impact that uh, you know, God says, thou shalt not steal or thou shalt not murder. What Jesus is saying is this, worry is not going to help anything. Uh, in fact, worry will only make the situation worse. And we often fail to realize what damage worry does to our lives. Research uh, clearly shows that stress deteriorates our immune systems. Being, being under constant or high stress adversely affects our immunity system. Stress also has a definite effect on fertility. Prolonged stress has been shown to affect the brain, making a person less able to respond to future stress. And stress also is related to sudden heart failure. In verses 24 to 31, the Lord is teaching us to live theologically. Now, What does that mean? When we hear the word theological, uh, a lot of times uh, we just stop uh, thinking because the fear is that things are going to get technical or cerebral. Um, and it can be intimidating. I understand that. But when, when we understand what um, thinking theologically means, uh, to, to think uh, right thoughts about God leads to right uh, living um, that, that reflects uh, God at work on the inside. Uh, so as uh, intimidating or as technical as the word theological uh, might uh, sound, uh, what this really means is that what we believe affects how we live. That's what theology is all about. It is our theology or what we believe about God that makes us want to obey it. But we're Christians, and it matters that we live like Christians. The way that we live ought to be very different from the way people of the world live. Okay, so these are the two heart conditions that Jesus uh, addresses he exposes them for all to see, his disciples in particular. Uh, covetousness um, is corrupting. It will corrupt, your, corrupt you physically. It will corrupt you spiritually. Anxiety makes everything uh, worse. And so when uh, we pause here and, and ask the question, Aren't we, aren't we going to get any kind of help from Jesus 
with how to deal with these two world-class heart issues, covetousness and anxiety. Uh, is there anything that he is saying uh, after he identifies these two problems, these two heart conditions, uh, that will help us? Uh, yes, he, he is about to say something. So Jesus says to you and me, in effect, fight covetousness and anxiety with truth and faith. That's really what Jesus is saying in the passage. Okay, how do you do that? One word, one word, consider. Now, Jesus uses the word consider uh, twice in, in this passage. Uh, the first uh, usage of it is when he says, consider the ravens. And the second one is when he says, consider the lilies or the wild flowers of the field. The word, uh, this word consider is the same word that the author of Hebrews uses when he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not get, grow weary or faint-hearted. So the, the word consider means to think about deeply, to meditate upon, to uh, um, mull it over, uh, preach it to yourself often. Uh, the word uh, consider has that, that, that flavor to it. So uh, let's talk about this first consideration here. Consider the ravens. Now Jesus' point here is that uh, we ought to look at these birds. These birds don't have jobs. They don't draw paychecks. Uh, they don't have titles. They don't work in businesses. And yet God provides for them. He provides the food that they need. Uh, and Jesus' argument is this. If God provides for these birds, he will provide for you. Uh, want us to look at verse 24 when he asked us to consider the ravens. It's interesting that he chose uh, the, the raven uh, out of all of the uh, birds he could have uh, chosen to uh, point to. Uh, people Jesus was speaking to were, were Jews, and so they knew their Bibles very well. They even knew the book of Leviticus pretty well. And if you would go into uh, the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 11, you'll see there, there's a long list of, of birds that are mentioned there. And uh, these particular birds are uh, classified as unclean, which would mean that they would not be on the grocery list. Uh, it's not birds that you would eat, you know, like a chicken or a turkey or something. And so uh, here, here's a list of, of uh, unclean birds, birds that were... Uh, that the Jews were forbidden to eat, according to Leviticus 11. Uh, eagles, vultures, kites, owls, gulls, hawks, cormorant, osprey, stork, uh, heron, and bats. Uh, even though bats are technically birds, uh, they're still unclean and you should not eat them. And in the middle of all, that, uh, of all those birds, uh, you will find any kind of raven. So the ravens were on the banned list. And yet Jesus tells the people that day that God feeds them. You hear what Jesus is saying? 
these unclean birds, uh, these birds that are not as vital to uh, life as other birds, uh, they're scavengers, uh, they're dirty birds, and God takes care of them, so if God takes care of the lesser, will he not also take care of the greater? That's the logic that's there. And so the, the, the point Jesus is making, uh, of course, is this. Uh, don't make your life all about possessions. Um, a man's life does not consist of his possessions, even if he has an abundance, he says in the passage that we've been reading. It's don't make your goal even the, the, the basic necessities like food and clothing. If, if God provides for any of his creatures, uh, he will certainly provide for you. Then we come to uh, verses 27 and 28, and we see the, the second consideration uh, that Jesus wants us to make. He says, consider the wild flowers or the lilies. Uh, actually, the word lilies, uh, how it's translated, but the, the word actually refers to you know, any kind of wild flowers. Uh, so here he says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And in other words, Jesus argues, if God would clothe the grass in such glorious majesty, don't you think he'll clothe you too? God decorates his world with beautiful grass and flowers and trees and mountains and rivers and oceans. In other words, God didn't just make this world functional. He made it beautiful. He made it gorgeous, even though it's cursed, even though it's temporary. You look out and you can see wildflowers that you know, in peak season, they could be here today. The next day, they could be uh, already, uh, uh, you know, dried out. Their lifespan is already over, and they're good for nothing anymore except uh, to be kindling for the uh, evening meal in the, the oven. And the point Jesus is making is anything that's as short-lived as wildflowers, um, if God adorns them, he will adorn you. And then finally, in verses 32 and 34, um, there, there's a third consideration that Jesus puts before us. He doesn't use the word consider here. Uh, so even though he doesn't state it explicitly, uh, the word consider, uh, he, he's certainly inviting us to make this uh, implied consideration. And that is this. It's generosity. So let's look at what Jesus says to his disciples who want to reject the, the life of coveting and being anxious. He says, if, if you want to reject the life of coveting, if you want to reject the life of being anxious, always wanting to hang on to what you have and get more than enough so that you'll really be happy, uh, then look at what he says. Sell your possessions and give to the needy Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure uh, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches 
and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus is saying this. Uh, here's the last thing that you need to do to defeat coveting and anxiety. You need to be generous. Be generous with what you already have. So if you are overly preoccupied with what you don't have, which for many is a world-class problem, Jesus says, here's how you defeat that. You consider how God takes care of birds and flowers. And if and when you do this and you're struggling with trying to find joy in what uh, you don't have, uh, you start giving away some of the stuff that you already have. What? Did anyone else ask that question after reading that or hearing that uh, uh, statement read? Give my money away when I'm not sure I have enough now? Uh, is that really what Jesus is saying here? Yeah, he's saying, you know, he's not saying give everything away, but he is saying be generous with what you do have. And what benefit does generosity have? What does it do? Well, it does two things. First of all, it reminds you that God has provided for you generously because he's given you enough to be able to give some away. And secondly, it reminds you that stuff you're giving away isn't where you get your joy. Our joy doesn't come from money or the stuff that money can buy. If that were true, then everybody in this country ought to be really happy because we've got lots of stuff. And all of the people that we've looked at in history and in contemporary society who have plenty of stuff but still don't have joy uh, should serve to illustrate that truth. But Jesus is saying that when we're generous with what we already have, um, this is theology in action. It is an indication that we live our lives differently than people of the world. I think what Jesus is saying to us is that we're not going to be able to defeat covetousness and, and anxiety if we're not generous, because if you're not generous, there's every likelihood that you're still coveting stuff and feeling anxious because you don't have enough stuff. So, Life, a man's life does not consist of his possessions, even if he has an abundance. And then we come to uh, uh, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, wherever your money goes, your heart goes with that. And the message from the passage comes down to the issue of what you desire more. This is exactly the struggle that Eve faced with Satan in the garden. What do I want more? Do I want God or do I want this forbidden piece of fruit? And so she weighs the two in the balance and she chooses the fruit. And so did Adam. And that's what happens every time 
we covet. We say, stuff matters more to me than God. And so Jesus is wanting his disciples, he's wanting the people who are following him to have their values uh, correctly lined up. Uh, he's warning us against uh, those world class problems, those hard issues of covetousness and anxiety. And so, in conclusion, is Jesus saying that what we all need to do is give away everything that we own? Is that the out-of-this-world solution that he's offering for the hard issues of covetousness and anxiety? No, that's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying at all. What he is saying that he's wanting us to give freely, with generosity, without anxiety, in light of God's gracious provisions of all of our needs, and to see to it that we are storing up treasure in heaven as we seek after his kingdom. It's only natural that our hearts will be where uh, we are most heavily invested. If your number one investment is the kingdom of God, that's where your heart will be. If your number one investment is in the accumulation of worldly wealth, that's where your heart will be. So put your heart and your treasure with the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying. That will take care of those world-class problems that we all have, of covetousness and of anxiety. It's an out-of-this-world solution for two huge world-class problems. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come to you uh, this morning with the recognition that what we have read, um, this goes against the grain. It is our human nature uh, to want more because we believe that by having more, uh, we will be happier, we'll be more satisfied. Even though our theology tells us that it's better to have less of stuff if it means having more of you, because only you can truly satisfy. And while we know that in theory, in real life, it, it's really hard for us to make that transfer. So we're confessing that even though this is how you call us to live as Christians, we confess we can't do it unless we come to the understanding uh, that the greater treasure, the greatest treasure is not in stuff or money or anything that uh, this present world considers to be valuable. The greatest value is you. So Lord, will you work in our hearts to create uh, within us a desire to desire you more and in the process to not be so anxious about the stuff that really can't satisfy in the end anyway. Through Christ our Lord we pray.